I'm not sure if anybody else does this, but do you ever, like, go through life and, and, and you hear about something that is supposed to be amazing and you can't, you just can't help, but you've got to go and see it. Or you've got to go and, and listen to it. You've got to go and check it out. Like, I don't know, you know, when you go down to the county fair, you know, you go to the fairgrounds and, and you kind of have to sell a kidney just to get in the door because it's like so expensive to get in the door. But you sell your kidney, you get into the fair, you're going around checking all the things out and you're walking through the fair and they have that little tent you know, the tent, and it's covered, and it's like, for five bucks, you can come in and see the world's biggest cow, or whatever it is, you know. Um, you know, one time it was like, you could see the world's ugliest man, and I'm like, sweet, I want to see this guy. So I give him my five bucks, and it's, and it's a mirror, and I'm like, what? What does this mean? Okay, or, you know, typically it's like the world's biggest cow, or something like that, and you're like, Wow. You know, like, like, how do I know this is the world's biggest cow? And they're like, well, because we told you it was. And, but, it's, you know, they just have that. You just have to go and see what's behind the curtain. Like, you've got to go and check it out. Maybe this, maybe uh, a couple years ago, uh, New Year's Eve. We had a New Year's Eve party. And when you have kids, your New Year's Eve party consists of turning the TV on and watching the festivities on the television, right? And so we're watching the festivities on the TV. And this one year, they had this big... Program. They, they had this, this, this like Baja type truck and you can picture these, these trucks and it was going to do this, this, this jump and it was going to do like a, a flip and, and a 360 and, and it was like this really cool thing. All right. And so they kept showing like, this is what's going to happen. And for two and a half hours, I sat watching this thing as they talked about the truck and they talked about the ramp. They talked about all the physics of it. And I'm sitting here wanting to see this amazing thing happen in front of me. You know, we went to Europe a couple weeks ago. And in Europe, we're like, well, what should we do in Europe? And people are like, you need to go on the London Eye. And I'm like, that's a Ferris wheel. Like, I've been on a Ferris wheel. There's nothing exciting about that. But you, you get that. You get this idea that, that sometimes there's things in life that sound so extravagant, sound so amazing. I mean, I, I, mean, I know you guys do the same thing. I know because I see what you guys post on Facebook. You post on Facebook, like, like click on this and you'll see the most crazy thing ever. And so you, you all do that. I know you do. But also, not only does it work like that, it also works with people. We're like, when, when somebody does something amazing, when somebody does something extraordinary, it's kind of like they deserve like, like a response from you. They deserve your attention. They deserve a little bit of respect from you. Uh, like, like, like this, like, like Russell Westbrook. 41 triple-doubles this season. Averaging, now I lost some of you right now, and I'm sorry this is a basketball reference, but that's pretty remarkable if you're a basketball fan. Like what Russell Westbrook is doing, if you're not a basketball fan, uh, you'll, you'll catch this. There's a guy by the name of Jason Dunham. He was a U.S. Marine. And he was awarded a Medal of Honor because he fought hand-in-hand with the enemy. And the enemy threw a grenade, and he threw his body on top of that grenade to save his fellow Marines. A guy like that deserves our respect. Deserves that we give him a certain amount of recognition a certain response that would be required because of who he is, of what he has done. And dare I say this, our president, whether you like our president or not, by, by fact of him becoming president, there's a certain response that should be expected from us. And listen, I'm not ta- trying to get him politically. I don't care if it's a Obama or Trump. 
by nature of that position of being president, there's a certain amount of respect and honor that is due from him being in that position. The question that I want to wrestle with, though, today is what about Jesus? Like, if we can give certain amount of recognition and honor and expect a certain response for these people, shouldn't we also have the same expectation for Jesus? I mean, as, as Christians, we would say that Jesus is God, and he's greater than all other gods in this world. I mean, I mean you just look at his life. You look at the life of Jesus, you look at the, his teachings, you look at the miracles that he did, and that deserves a certain response from us. It deserves some recognition, some respect on our, from us on, on his behalf because of what he has done. But honestly, do those things make Jesus all that unique? I mean, there's been other people that have come and were great teachers. There's been other people that have come and done great miracles I mean, those things in themselves do not distinguish Jesus as being the greatest. So what distinguishes Jesus as being above every other God? As Christians, we believe that Jesus is above every other. So what distinguishes him? It's the resurrection. It's the resurrection. This is what makes Jesus unique. This is what demands our respect. Because this is something that nobody else has done. You can look at all the other uh, founders of religion. You look at uh, Muhammad. You look at Buddha. You look at Joseph Smith. You look at uh, President Trump. You look at President... Nobody else has died and come back from the grave. Except for Jesus. And listen, if Jesus really did die, if Jesus really was buried in that tomb, and three days later Jesus really came back from the grave, Listen, that doesn't just demand our respect. It demands recognition that Jesus is God in the flesh. And he has the ability then to call to us a certain response that we need to uh, uh, return because of who he is and because what he has done through the resurrection. So I want to be clear. Like my intent today is I want us to have a, a confrontation with the resurrection. I want us to come face to face with the resurrection to see with, with the resurrection to see what it is we are going to to uh, what, what the resurrection is going to uh, require of us and what it means for us. So those those are the two questions I want you to, to wrestle with today. Okay? If Jesus really did rise from the grave, number 1, what does that mean for you? If Jesus rose from the grave, what does that mean for you and for me? And secondly, if Jesus rose from the grave, then what is the response that we should give to him if these things really happened? So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn today to Luke chapter 4. Excuse me, Luke chapter 24. Uh, We want to deal with the resurrection, not the birth. So Luke chapter 24. If you need a Bible, slip your hand up. There's an usher in the back. Um, He'll come and bring one of these up to you. Um, as, you're, as you're turning to Luke 24, when we deal with this idea of the resurrection, um, sometimes it's hard for us to understand like, what the resurrection really means. Because we just, well, it's, it's not something that we see all the time. It, it's kind of unheard of. And we don't really have a, a context to, to grasp and to understand what resurrection is. And so some people, when they're dealing with Jesus and dealing with the Easter story of Jesus raising from the grave, some people will say, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die. Like maybe, maybe Jesus, he wasn't really dead. But in fact, when you look in the Bible, the, the Bible story, uh, 
it's very intentional the way that it portrays that, that Jesus died. The Romans were, uh, they were experts at execution. So that doesn't really hold up. And we'll say, well, maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus, maybe he died for like 30 minutes, you know, like that little boy, you know, in the story. Maybe he died for like 30 minutes, but like, you know, that's, like doctors can figure that out. But no, actually the Bible says that for three days Jesus was died. He died on a Friday. He was buried that Friday, was in the grave on Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Sunday morning. He rose from the grave. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus really did die. And that three days later, he rose again. Listen, sometimes we have a hard time accepting that. Because we just don't have a context for what the resurrection looks like. Because we haven't seen it. We haven't experienced. We don't have, we don't have people around us who have been through that. In fact, even Jesus' disciples, the people who were closest to Jesus, they had a hard time grasping, what's this resurrection thing? That you're talking about Jesus. In fact, three times in Jesus' ministry, three times as he's hanging out with his disciples, he talks about the resurrection, and the disciples just don't get it. And in Luke chapter 9, uh, it says that um, Jesus, they were, or the disciples, they were all marveling at all that Jesus was doing. And Jesus said to his disciples, here's what he said He said, Let those words sink into your hearts. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. They didn't understand what the resurrection. did not understand that Jesus is going to come back from the grave. Luke chapter 18. It says, And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that was written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over the Gentiles. He'll be mocked. He'll be shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And again, the disciples, it says, they did not understand uh, these things. The saying was hidden from them. They could not grasp what was being said, that Jesus would die and would come back from the grave. And my favorite example of this is in Matthew 16. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Um, And... uh, uh, from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised from the grave. And this is the best part, because next it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and saying, Jesus, far be it from you. This will never happen on my watch, Jesus. I got your back. No one's going to hurt you. And Jesus, look at his response. He says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you are a hindrance to me. Jesus is saying, no, this is what's going to happen. Peter, I don't care how strong you are. You can't stop this from happening. This is the plan of God that I am going to die and get buried. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. And as Jesus is trying to explain this to his disciples, the people closest to him, they couldn't grasp and understand what the resurrection really was. And so when Jesus was arrested, remember what happened to the disciples? They all ran away. They scattered. They dispersed. They lost heart. They became depressed. This man, this guy was supposed to be the Messiah. He was supposed to be the promised Savior. He was supposed to enter into the kingdom of God. He was supposed to right all the wrongs in our world. He was supposed to be the hope to the world. And now this man has been arrested and he's going to die on a cross. 
And the Bible says that as Jesus died on the cross, it says that the, the veil in the temple, which is the, the curtain of the temple, it was torn into two, and the light turned to darkness in the middle of the day. And you kind of picture, that's kind of the way the disciples feel at that moment. Like all of our hope in the Messiah is gone because he's dead. So that's where we come to Luke chapter 24. Before we jump into Luke chapter 24, I'm just going to ask you to, to join me in a word of prayer. God, just thank you for the opportunity to be gathered here today. And God, I don't know where all of us come from in our faith. I don't know, uh, God, where you've led us. But God, you've brought us here today. That God, we would have a confrontation with the resurrection. That we would come face to face with, with who Jesus is. And what Jesus has done. The fact that Jesus has died and been raised up again. And God, I pray that you help us to understand what this means for us. Help us to understand the response it requires from us. And help us to see that, God, your word is true. And that we can believe this really happened. God, I plead for your presence on us now that you'd give us understanding, Jesus. And that you speak to every one of us in here today, Jesus. We love you and praise you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Luke chapter 24, it's three days later after Jesus has died. And, and nobody remembers, no one believes what Jesus had talked about, about coming back from the grave. In fact, in, chapter, in verse 1 of Luke 24, there's a couple of ladies who go to the tomb of Jesus, and they bring anointing spices and oils. They're going to anoint Jesus' body for, for, for burial. Because what happened was when Jesus died, they had to hurry and bury him, because from sundown on Friday till, till sun, through Saturday, they couldn't, Nobody could touch his body because it was part of the religious culture. So this is the first time that these ladies have the chance. They come to the, the, the tomb of Jesus because they want to anoint his body for burial. And it says, as they showed up, that two angels appeared. And they said, the angel said to the woman, why do you seek the dead among the living? They said, remember what he told you, that he would be delivered over to angry men, that they would crucify him. And on the third day, Jesus said he would rise again. And the ladies look in the tomb and he's not there. They're like, whoa. And they run back to the disciples and they tell the disciples all that they had seen. But the disciples still have a hard time accepting that. And verse 11 says that the disciples said, this is an idle tale. We don't really believe this happened. Verse 13, chapter 24, there's two disciples, they're walking on the road, going to a, a place called um, Emmaus. And they're thinking about these things. They're, they're talking amongst themselves about all the things that happened, about how their Savior, their, 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 their King Jesus had died. And a man appears to them and starts walking with them and says, what are you guys talking about? I go, well, look, well the, let me tell you about who Jesus is. Let me tell you about Jesus had, had promised. And let me tell you that Jesus died. And we're a little concerned now. And so the man that's walking with him, he begins to interpret the Bible concerning Jesus and Messiah. He begins to open their minds so they begin to understand what the Bible says. And finally, after this long rock, they get close to where they're going. And finally, they recognize who this man is. They're saying, whoa, this is Jesus. He's walking with us. And all of a sudden, Jesus is gone. 
Disciples are like, whoa, this is crazy. And they run back to the other disciples. They want to tell the disciples, hey, this is what happened. We were walking on the road and we saw a man who looks just like Jesus. And this brings us to our text today, Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And we're going to see that our disciples, these, these 12 disciples, 11 disciples, are going to be confronted with a resurrected Jesus. These disciples are gathered. They're talking about what's happening. And they're wondering, man, man, like, are we hallucinating this? Like, like maybe there was some, uh, you know, some, something spiked communion juice, you know, that we had. Or, I mean, there's something going on because we've seen this, this Jesus resurrected, but we know that he was dead. So verse 36 says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? I mean, the disciples, they're in this room together. And they're, they're talking about all these things. or having this conversation with each other. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. And they're, free, they're freaking out. They're kind of like middle school girls at a Justin Timberlake concert. Like, they're going crazy. What's happening here? They're like, this has got to be a ghost. And Jesus... Wants to help them understand. And he begins to, to do this. It says in verse 39, he says, See my hands and see my feet, that it is I myself. He says, go ahead and touch my hands, touch my feet and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. He says, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. But you can go ahead and touch me and feel me. In fact, John chapter 20 tells a story of, of doubting Thomas. How there's a disciple named Thomas, and he would not believe that Jesus was risen from the grave and killed until he could literally touch him and put his hands in the wounds and put his fingers on the wounds and put his hands on his side to feel this is the Jesus that was crucified. You know, thinking about doubting Thomas, Thomas is known all these centuries later as being doubting Thomas. And he doubted once. Like, think about that. Like, he gets this reputation of being doubted, doubting Thomas because he doubted once. Like, like, what's that one thing you've done in your history that you would hate to be known for? Like, for me, in T-Bowl, I was straight up, I told you the story once, I pooped my pants running around the bases. Like, what if I was known as Poopy Pants Kevin because I did that once? Like, we got to give Thomas a little bit of a break here, right? And so Jesus says, here's my hands. Here's my feet. Go ahead and touch me and feel me. I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and bones. And verse 41, it says, while they still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling. Okay, and here's, here's the key. Here's, here's what I want us to lean in a little bit. Because it says they were disbelieving, yet they were still marveling. They couldn't believe what was happening before them. It was almost too good to be true. And I actually like how the New Revised Standard Version shares this verse. Because it says, while in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. Disbelieving, yet still wondering. This idea that there's this doubt going on in their hearts. There's this doubt, this can't be true, this can't be real. But they're still marveling, they're still, they're still anxious, they still want to know. Still seeking answers to God, is this really true? You know, we deal with this idea about doubt. 
You know, and, and we have this idea that, well, well, we can't have any doubt. Like, as Christians, we can't have doubt. Because if we have doubt, that shows that we don't really have faith. Listen. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Like, I don't know where we got this idea that doubt and faith are the opposite. Because doubt is not the opposite of faith. I don't know. Maybe indifference is the opposite of faith. We're just completely indifferent to, to who God is and to what he has done. What I would say is, I would say that doubt and faith often go side by side. Probably, probably, probably more than this. There's probably one instance in my life as a pastor. I've had more than this. But there's one specific instance in my life as a pastor that I will just be completely honest with you. That there was this doubt that filled my heart. I don't know, you're like, well, well, you're a pastor. You can't have doubt. Man, I just want to be straight up honest with you. There is a season where, as a pastor, we were in a hard season as a church. I had, had a close friend who I felt bitterly betrayed me. And it was very difficult. And the church was affected, and, and we were struggling through that season as a church. And, and I remember, I remember, and I've told this story before. It was a night, and I was preparing to preach. I was getting ready to preach the next day. And I remember sitting there saying, God, God, what am I doing? God, I'm trying so hard to remain faithful to you, God. I'm trying to be faithful to what you've called me to do. But God, my name has been muddied. God, I'm hurt. God, I feel so alone. God, God, where are you? God, is this even, like, why am I giving my life to this, God? Some of you have been here. Some of you have been in that moment where you've been confronted with incredibly hard things. A family member who dies unexpectedly. People, a relationship, somebody who promised to love you and to be with you always and forever. And they abandon you. And they leave you empty. This is when you try and do good. And maybe you you take a risk. And it blows up in your face. And you're left shamed. You're left with nothing except broken pieces all around you. Listen, when we have those moments in our life, when we have those times in our life, we're often left with chaos and despair. And oftentimes those times lead to doubt. That we're not sure where God is. We're not sure what God is doing. We're not even sure if God is there. And we're left with our hurts and we're left with that doubt. And what we do is we come to church and we dress up. We put our Sunday best on, and, and, and we, we put a smile on our face because we want to look good. But the reality of it, in, in a room like this, there are many of us in here, we're under our Sunday clothes, under the smiles on our face, under the faces that we put on so we can take on the world. Underneath all of that is often very less tidy lives. There's a little bit of heartache in there. A little bit of brokenness in there. A little bit of doubt in there. A little bit of wonder, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, are you even real? Do you even hear my prayers? And sure, inside of our heart, we've got this this little bit of faith, this little bit of belief that we, we, we hope that God is there. On this other side, we've got this little bit of struggle and this little bit of doubt. And we've got these two things battling inside of us. Listen. Let me just make sure I say this clear. I I think I said this last week. God is not afraid of your doubt. 
we need to hear that God is not afraid of your doubt. Because here we see Jesus, he's meeting his disciples in that very moment where they're doubting, having a hard time believing. Jesus, can you really come back from the grave? And here is Jesus loving them and confronting them with the truth. See my hands. See my feet. Touch them. Don't touch my feet because that's gross. But literally, you can see my hands. You can see my feet. You can see the, the holes from where the nails were. And Jesus is loving the, lovingly confronting them with the truth in the midst of their doubt. He's not berating them. He's loving them. Saying, let me meet you where you are. Let me meet you at that spot. Listen, when you and I can be honest with our doubts, when we can be honest with ourselves, we can be honest with one another, man, God meets us right there. And I'll just, again, back to my story. I had that season of, of God, what are you doing? Man, I, I showed up to church that Sunday, and it was just like those disciples, where Jesus confronted me with the power of the resurrection. Confronted me with the power of what he is doing and what he has done. Because we had the opportunity to have six people baptized that Sunday. And I had the privilege of hearing six stories, six lives of how the resurrection had changed their life. Of how God had met them and how God had made a difference in their life. And this is what the resurrection does. It changes lives. See, doubt and faith are not the opposite. It's when we can be honest about our doubts, when we begin to ask those questions. Man, faith has more depth. Faith has more patience. Faith has more meaning when we can just wrestle with these things. Wrestle with God. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. Help me, God. So here's the disciples, verse 41. They're, they're disbelieving, but they're still wondering. And Jesus is again, he's going to meet the need. And he says in verse 41, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Now, I just got to say, like, I've never had broiled fish, but that's the wrong way to cook fish. If you're going to cook fish, you got to put it in some tin foil and put some butter in there and a couple dabs of, uh, uh, of, uh, of lemon juice and some seasoning. And you put it on the barbecue on indirect heat for 15 minutes. That's the best way to eat fish. Just saying, okay? Either way, Jesus says, you got anything to eat? And they're like, yeah, we got some fish sticks. And so they give Jesus some fish sticks. Again, ghosts don't eat fish sticks. He's trying to give them evidence. Hey, I'm real. I really came back from the grave. I'm eating food and it's working. Like, like this is evidence of the resurrection. He's trying to confront them with that truth. Listen, when you're in that season season when you begin to have doubt where do you turn for the answer because here's the disciples they're doubting they're disbelieving yet still wondering and i always i always think it's crazy like when you're struggling with belief about something like maybe you're struggling with maybe feeling safe you know struggling with safety like, like why is it that when we struggle with safety we go to the crazy guy who lives up in the woods in in, in a big old you know, tent and, and, and a stockpiling bags of rice and guns. Like, why is it we go to that guy? Am I safe? Of course he's going to tell you no. Like, like, why do we go to the crazy guy for the answer? Because here they're struggling with this, this doubt about God. 
is Jesus. Is this really Jesus? Can he really raise from the grave? And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to turn them to the ultimate truth. He's going to turn them to the word of God. Verse 44. After Jesus has already showed them his hands. After he's already showed them, I'm, I'm flesh and blood. After he's already showed them, look, I'm eating. I'm eating like a normal person. I'm, I'm alive. I'm real. It says, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. They're struggling with their doubt. And Jesus says, let me take you to the ultimate truth, to the word of God. He says, this is what the Bible says about Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. He says, remember when I told you guys. Remember when I told you I was going to be beaten and I was going to, to uh, be hung on a cross to die and I was going to be buried and on the third day I'd rise from the grave? He says, guys, guys, remember a couple chapters ago when, when Peter said, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. And I said, no, you're wrong, Peter. Remember when I said this? This is what I was talking about. He's saying, listen, guys, this was God's plan from the very beginning. This is the resurrection. You can look through all of the Old Testament. You can look at the, 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 the Proverbs and the Psalms and, and the prophets. And this is what they're speaking about. The resurrection of Jesus. From the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3. The fall of man. You and I know this story. You've got Adam and Eve. And they're living in the garden. This beautiful, perfect place. And the little serpent comes up. Satan comes up and says, hey, you need to eat this fruit. And they ate the fruit. And it brought... It changed everything in the world. It brought judgment. And as God comes, he's going to condemn the serpent. He's going to condemn Satan. And he says in in Genesis 3, verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, this is what Jesus has just done. Sure, Sure, Satan... Satan, you're, you're going to have a little bit of say. You're, you, can, you, can, you can bring a, a, a damage to the world. But there's going to be an ultimate blow. And the worst thing that you can do, Satan, the worst thing that you can do is bring death to any one of us. And Jesus, as he dies and raises from the grave, he's saying, look, the worst thing you can do, I've overcome. I've overcome the worst that you can throw. I've defeated death. I've defeated Satan. I've defeated hell. And this is from the very beginning. uh, Jesus begins to say, look, this is what the scripture is talking about. And here's these disciples. They're, They're disbelieving, but still wondering and seeking the answer. God, is this real? And listen, when our disbelieving and still wondering, when we have that doubt, when we struggle through those seasons of life, man, when we, when, when we include the fellowship of God's people and when we open up God's word, listen, your faith will be deepened. I can just tell you personally that the times that I've struggled through life, struggled through God, struggling through God, what are you doing? When I've taken the time and I've listened and I've learned and I've studied the word of God, about who God is, 
about what God has done, about where God is present, about where God is working. Listen, my faith has blossomed even alongside my doubt. This is what happens when we put ourselves in the fellowship of God's people and in the study of God's word. Our faith will blossom even in the midst of that doubt. Because the more that we learn, uh, the more we learn about God, the more we can begin to, to trust him more. And the more that we trust God, the more we can see him present around us. The more that we know what God has done in the past in other people's lives. The more that we see in the Bible how God fulfills his promises, even in the midst of hard times. The more we begin to understand and get this idea that God is at work in our lives. That God is at work and present right here and right now. That God is at work in my life, even in the challenges, even in the heartaches, even in the setbacks, even in the disappointments. The more you know of God, the more you understand He is at work in all things. He's working behind the scenes for our ultimate good and for His glory. And we may not understand it, but we can look back and see, man, God, you are doing something here. God, you are sovereign. You are in control. And I can trust you. So here's these disciples. They're in that season where they're, they're, they're disbelieving yet still wondering. Having those doubts, but still, God, help me understand. And here Jesus has come and he's confronted them with the truth of the resurrection. He said, listen, here's everything you need to know. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. Here's me eating some fish sticks. Here's, here's the word of God that tells you uh, that this was going to happen. Listen, what does it mean for them? We ask that question. What does it mean when we're confronted with the resurrection? What did it mean for them? It meant for them that hope was alive. That their Savior, who they thought was finished, was not. He was just beginning to go and prepare something greater for them. And what is the response that Jesus wants from them? Verse 48. He says, you are witnesses of these things. Acts chapter 1, I like the way it says it. It says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He says, listen, you disciples, you've been confronted with the truth of the resurrection. And listen, this is what I want from you. That you would go and testify of these things. That you would live as witnesses to say, yes, we have seen the resurrected Jesus. We've seen his body. We've seen him standing before us. This is real. This is true. But listen, today is not about the disciples. And we can see how the disciples were confronted with the resurrection. But today, it's not about them. It's about you and me. It's about you and me being confronted with the resurrection. Listen, if Jesus really did rise from the grave, do you know what it means for you? If Jesus really did get resurrected, do you know what it means for you? It means first, that we can be made right with God. There's a big theological term that called justified. Justification. If Jesus rose from the grave, it means that we can be justified. We can be made right before God. Romans chapter 4 
uh, verse 25 says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. See, Jesus' death on the cross, that was the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sin. That was his payment for our sin penalty. And the resurrection three days later, that was confirmation that that payment was acceptable to God. That resurrection was God saying, you know what? I accept your payment. And, and all of you who place your faith in Jesus, you are made right with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The resurrection was proof that the cross was a sufficient payment for our sin. See, in the, in the resurrection, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we have assurance that Jesus has made us right before God. Listen, the only way we get that assurance is because of what Jesus has done for us. It's not because we go to church. It's not because we are good people. It's not because we, you know, put the Jesus bumper sticker on our, on our car. The only way that we are made right is because of what Jesus did on the cross and God raising him from the grave in the resurrection. What else does this mean in our life? Not only does it mean that we can be made right in the eyes of God, but it also means that God can do anything in our lives. I mean, just thinking about where we are, where you are. Thinking about, man, I've got these doubts. I've got these struggles. God, I've got this, this addiction. God, I've got this relationship, and it's really a mess. And, and God, I, it's falling apart. I don't know what to do in it. I've got these kids, God. Man, these kids, I don't know how to raise these kids. And, and how do I keep them on, the, uh, on a good path? God, I've got this financial mess and I don't know how to get out of it. And I'm just, God, I'm, 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 I'm stressed out. God, I've got this, this physical issue. I've got this thing going on. Listen, if God can raise Jesus from the grave, don't you think God can deal with that issue in your life? Genesis chapter 18, there's a story in Genesis 18 where there's a guy by the name of Abram and his wife, Sarah. And they're well over 100 years old. They're past the age of having children. And God comes to them and gives them a promise and says, you're going to have a baby in a year from now. Sarah laughs. <laughs> no way, I'm too old. I can't have babies anymore. Genesis 18, 14 says, is anything too hard for the Lord? See, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, then certainly can't he work in your life? If God can raise Jesus from the dead, certainly can't God Solve that relational problem you've got. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, certainly don't you think that God can deal with the financial problem that you've got before you? 1 Corinthians 15 says that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. God is in control over everything, everywhere. And we could tell story after story in this church of examples of this. That God takes things that are broken and he fixes them. He makes them right. When I was thinking about this last night, I was thinking, what would be a good story of this? And I was thinking about this last night. Uh, some of you know I was adopted when I was a baby. And uh, I was born into a, a drug family. So I've got all those monikers of fetal, fetal alcohol syndrome and the... You know, a, a, I mean, all those monikers, I've, I think we've all had them pointed towards me and my sisters. In fact, when we were growing up, one of the things that the, 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 they decided is they said, hey, Kevin, you have a speech problem. 
And I had to be in speech therapy for five years. All through my elementary age, I was in speech therapy because they were trying to help me learn how to speak correctly. And you know what's crazy? I speak for a living now. Like, like, isn't that what God does? Like, isn't that what God does? Well, God takes the broken things of the world and he turns it around and he redeems it. Like, that is what God does. Like, that is awesome. Listen, whatever situation in your life right now, if God can raise Jesus from the grave, don't you think God can work in your life right here and right now? The second question I said we're going to be confronted with is if Jesus really did raise from the grave, then how are you and I to respond to him because of that? How are you and I to respond? Remember we said there are certain people that do certain things and because of how the great accomplishments they have, that they deserve our response. Listen, the Bible is very clear about the response that God expects from us because of the resurrection. In fact, this is going to be our Easter message next week. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. Paul writes and says, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's what God wants from us. That's response he's calling us to because of the resurrection. That we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is our God. And that we would believe in our heart that, that God had raised him from the grave. This is what he expects from us. To, to confess means that we become his witnesses. Just like those disciples, that we would be witnesses and say, yes, I've seen and I believe and I know that Jesus is risen from the grave. That's what it means for us to be his witness. And to believe in the heart means that we allow the truth of the resurrection, we allow God to affect our life, to change our life. Because if he really did raise from the grave, and that's proof that he's the son of God, that means I'm going to allow him to, to shape the direction of my life. Allow him to influence how I live, how I think. And he just can begin to change me little by little, to become more like him. I want to give us an opportunity now to just process up how we respond to God's word today. We've, we've, we've heard this understand. We've heard this idea that we're confronted with the resurrection. And listen, I want to come back to this idea that it's okay to doubt. So many times we feel like, well, we can't have doubt in church. We can't have struggles. We can't bring our mess into church. Listen, if there's, no, if there's any place you can bring your mess, isn't it right here? Where we can be confronted with the truth of who God is. Listen, that's awesome. Listen, if you're in that season where you're struggling through life, you're struggling understanding what God is doing, listen, you're welcomed here. I'm glad to link arms with you to walk alongside you, to point to you to the scriptures of who God is, of what God has done. Because the more that you learn about him, the more you will trust him. 
and understand what he is doing in your life. Listen, you have an opportunity because of the resurrection to be made right before God. That you can have this confidence, this assurance that you are made right before God. Because if it's all about me, man, I hope I'm a good enough person. But do we really know? We can never be good enough. We can never do enough to earn God's forgiveness. But when we place our faith in what Jesus has done for us, we can see the, the, the confirmation, the resurrection. It's done. You're forgiven. You're free before God.